Hi, I'm Jeffrey Gordon, president of the American Birding Association and executive producer of the podcast. I'd like to say thank you for a terrific third year here at the American Birding Podcast and a wonderful 50th anniversary year at the American Birding Association. We depend on your memberships and your donations, particularly at year's end, to be able to offer you great programs like the American Birding Podcast. Please give what you can at aba.org slash give or by calling us at 800-850-2473. Thank you so much and good birding and happy new year. Hello and welcome to another episode of the American Burning Podcast from the American Burning Association. I'm your host, Nate Swick, and this is it. The end of our third year, the last episode of the year. And before I throw it over to the interview, which is a a good one, I think, to end our 50th year on, I just want to pause for a second and thank all of you who have listened to us this year, uh, previous years. Maybe this is your first episode, especially those of you who are able to see us at our two live shows at the Biggest Week in American Birding and the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival this year. Uh, Thanks for all of it. It means a lot to me that so many people have gotten excited about this project and this podcast. So thank you. I hope to run into all of you in 2020. You know, 2018 had its ups and downs for sure. But I know for me, the birds and birding and the birding community were by and large a wonderful part of it. I really hope that you can say the same and I hope that whatever holiday traditions you celebrate, that they are great fun and that birding plays a part, even if it's just a small one. So let's get right to it. On the show today, I welcome my colleagues, ABA President Jeffrey Gordon and birding editor Ted Floyd to the show to talk about 50 years of the ABA, the state of birding now, where we are, where we as a community, as an organization, as birders should go from here. You know, Ted and Jeff are always thoughtful and entertaining. So without any further ado, Jeff, Ted, me, and the ABA at 50. The end of 2019 means that we are coming to the end of the ABA's 50th anniversary. Looking forward to the next 50, uh, any big milestone encourages some taking stock of where you've been, where you're going. And, and here at the ABA, I know we've been doing a lot of that internally and in our various publications this year. But to sort of close the book on these 50 years, I wanted to have a conversation about the ABA uh, with a couple of people listeners to the podcast are no doubt familiar with. ABA President Jeff Gordon is here. Hello, Jeff. Welcome back. Hey, Nate. And uh, Birding Magazine editor, podcast stalwart Ted Floyd is back having licked his wounds after being stumped at the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival. (laughs) (laughs) I'll never forgive you, Nate. (laughs) (laughs) But it's good to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks for coming back, Ted. So, Ted, I'm going to go ahead and sort of get the ball rolling with you. You are definitely one of our longest tenured staff members and is the birding editor, sort of the keeper of the organization's history, because uh, the publication Birding has been part of the ABA for pretty much the entire 50 years. So so taking a broad look, you know, what is your sort of interpretation of the, the ABA's arc? Wow, that question is harder than anything you ask me at Harlingen, <laughs> I have to say. Yeah. The, uh, the, the arc of the ABA. Out, and I, yep, I, I assume we're going all the way back to uh, 1969 or sure, so why not? even yeah. the, the very end of 1968. I, um, I guess I'm struck by how the ABA has 
done two things in parallel during that time period. And by the way, just just to be clear, I was a, a, a mewling infant when the ABA was hatched, so I can't really speak uh, knowledgeably about the, the events of, the, let's say, the 1970s. But um, I've always been struck by how the ABA has done two things. I think on the one hand, it has been sort of a... Um, a mouthpiece for what's happening in the birding world so that the ABA has fairly credibly, commendably, you know, authentically reflected what's happening in the broader birding world. But it's also really gratifying to me that the ABA has, you know, fits and starts and sometimes, you know, better than at other times, uh, led the way forward. That um, a lot of initiatives over the years have come from the American Birding Association, um, emphasis on Bird finding, for example, the mm-hmm. 1970s, emphasis on field identification uh, in the 1980s and into the 1990s. And although we certainly do those things today, um, increasingly sort of an emphasis on uh, how birders engage with technology and most exciting to me, how birders uh, engage with with one another. So kind of a creative tension there between, on the one hand, reflecting who we are as a community, but on the other hand, uh, advancing who we are as a community. Yeah. How about you, Jeff? I mean, you've been a member of the ABA for forever, been the president for 10 years now. Um, what, it, what, it, what has sort of interested you about the organization and, and what have you, how have you sort of put your mark on where we are today? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> um, I can't help but uh, just commenting. I thought Ted did a great job of kind of, you know, identifying sort of three major life phases for the organization <laughs> or, or areas of emphasis and plumage cycles yeah. right exactly yeah, <laughs> right i don't know if we're a for a four-year four cycle organization <laughs> or right. so we have to be determined kind of one of those albatross things that yeah, molts yeah, yeah. a little at a time but um no um how what ted just said kind of recapitulates the the personal career of an individual birder or at yeah. least does for so many yeah, birders that I see, whereas there's kind of this, you know, I just want to get out. I just want to see that life or I just want to bird this place. I want to, you know, uh, break that record, whatever, um, to, uh, you know, wow, this stuff is more, even more complicated than I initially thought I'd like to, you know, get really good at it um, to, wow, you know, I really would like more people to share in this and to get what I've gotten out of it. And so I, I just think it's kind of perfect um, as, as sort of a summary of, of where I think a lot of us as individual birders have started in the path we've traveled and then also the organization. Now, now for me, um, I, you know, I started birding as a 12 year old um, in about 1977. Um, and those last couple of years of the 70s, um, the ABA, I just knew through issues of Birding Magazine that I got at the, the local Nature Center library. And I was particularly fascinated with those bird finding inserts. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Thinking back on my own, you know, I started birding when I was about that age in the early 90s. And uh, yeah, I mean, you get like a pile of aba field guide or aba magazines burgundy magazines and they yeah go straight to where can i find this where can i find that yeah it's such a cool part of what we what we did yeah and just the idea that um you know a lot of writing about birds and natural history 
Um, even stuff that was extremely incisive and informative and very well done, there's always sort of this kind of gauzy quality to it, this little, uh, you know, haze of sentimentality or literary, you know, device, whatever. And man, something about those little hand scribbled maps, you know, cross the third cattle <laughs> yeah. guard and turn left yeah. and listen for the buff collared knights are from the Arroyo to the yeah, Northeast, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, it's it was very exciting. Yeah. Well, you know, those lane guides, um, which were, you know, a huge part of the ABA's early years as well. I remember getting the, for my first one to like the lower Rio Grande Valley. And it was like, a it was like a mixture of a treasure map and the treasure itself, uh, right there. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, I, I guess now having said that, you know, so I started, I didn't actually join the ABA until gosh, probably 15 or 20 years later. Um, when I was, you know, a tour leader and I thought, wow, I really should, you know, be, you know, I should be getting the magazine and supporting this organization and, and keeping up with it. Um, but I mean, it was, it was still, I knew what it was. I knew what the organization was. I, you know, I knew a lot of what it stood for and I got a lot of information from it, even though I wasn't a member. Um, and, uh, so, you know, been a, a member, um, much of the time since then and um you know got uh participated in some conventions and uh chaperoning young birder teams and such and you know i think very much for me i i i've been going through these same sort of life phases uh while the aba has and i while i don't think i've ever lost the the fascination of even common birds that still manage to surprise you, you know, when you go out and see them. I, I really do think that um, I'm much more interested now in how we draw people into a closer orbit with the birds around them, with the community around them. And I've, you know, been saying a lot as I've, you know, gone around the ABA area and beyond, especially in this 50th year, that, you know, I feel like the first half century of the ABA was about learning to find and identify all the birds of the ABA area. Um, and I feel like, you know, in broad terms, the second half century should be about learning to find and identify new birders and, um, you know, really get good at that recruitment, at that uh, mentoring. But again, you know, these are all themes with the... I mean, I don't know, Ted, the first ABA Young Birder programs were um, early 90s, something like that. That's, yeah, that sounds about right. Mm -hmm. That's become a major theme. And of course, Nate, you're an alum yeah. of, of some of those. So, oh, you I know. remember getting uh, an ABA scholarship to go to uh, Camp Chiricahua in, in 1994 and uh, Judy Toops calling me on the phone. <laughs> I was in my backyard birding and my, my parents called me back and talked to her and Man, it was it was amazing. Yeah, that was one of my first introductions to the ABA. Cool. So just to, you know, I realize I've talked a lot here, um, <laughs> as is my want. But, um, you know, just something that, you know, I feel I've helped kind of steer the organization towards. And um, two things I would say. One, super simple, um, is featuring more pictures of birders, you know, including on the covers of our magazine and on our websites and everything else. Um, and 
putting out imagery that is that reflects well on the burning community and invites people to participate in burning. Um, I think that's something that we're making headway with and have been for a while, and it feels like we're even picking up momentum. The other thing, I you know, our Young Birder of the Year program, it always had this, you know, you could do photography, you could do illustration, you could do writing, um, and get amazing mentoring from leading talents in the field. Um, but to, to be part of the Young Birder of the Year competition, you had to do this major module, which is the field notebook. And that's, of course, a very worthy discipline. But I just looked at that and I said, you know, man, this, this, everything we're doing is, is like essentially solitary. And it's kind of falling into that thing of we're trying to um, raise the next, um, you know, the next David Sibley, the next John Dunn, mm -hmm. the next, uh, you know, whatever. And, and just for myself, if I had been participating in that, contest as a kid, um, or that program as a kid, I would have wanted something more um, social. And yeah. so we came up with the conservation and community leadership module and gave the kids and, and also designated that as a major undertaking. And, you know, so Ioana Saraton, who's now associate editor at Burning, you know, I remember when she was in Young Birder of the Year, her conservation community project involved a really cool blog that she did on, you know, just birding around California. And we've had so many great um, examples of kids getting younger kids involved, doing habitat improvement projects, all this kind of thing. So I think um, the ABA has kind of always been about people for whom bird is a verb mm -hmm. um, in addition to a noun. And I think extending that to where birding as a verb doesn't only involve you and the birds. One of the things that has always sort of struck me is how unique an organization the ABA is. You know, there's really no equivalent in, in other parts of the world. I, I can't, I mean, many times I've spoken to, to birders in Europe, uh, the UK, for instance, and they talk about how, uh, you know, jealous they are that there's an organization in North America that is sort of explicitly about the hobby side of birding. Do you, do you have any insights as to why that is so, you know, is that role subsumed by other organizations? Is it, is it not sustainable there? I've never been able to figure out why that is. That's a really tricky question, Nate. Um, it is one I've given thought to from time to time, and I've uh, spoken to leaders in uh, the, the British birding scene, especially about why that is. And this will be probably a um, unsatisfactory response, but I'll, <laughs> I'll give it to you all anyhow. Um, we can't really figure it out. Um, Dominic Mitchell and I, especially, I, he, he's sort of the, um, the he, actually he was, he's, he's moved on to other things now, but the sort of the, the closest thing that Britain has to a, an editor of Birding Magazine. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I have, have pondered that matter together. Actually, you may have been involved in those conversations, Nate, when we were in a Guatemala together. Familiar. And, yeah. Right, right. And um, we've sort of just chalked it up to um, being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. You know, the, the ABA came into existence in the United States at a very dynamic and exciting time for the, the environmental movement mm -hmm. and for the general sort of second flowering of environmental awareness. I think that has something to do with it. it, it it's funny. I'm, I'm joking when I'm saying this. I almost wish we could uh, patch in Jim Tucker here and see what his <laughs> answer. <laughs> Jim Tucker, by the way, was the founder of right. the ABA and yeah. to see what his answer Still to the question. Um, very much so. Yeah. In fact, we had a marvelous interview with him just a year ago. But yeah, I am... Um, 
I suspect that it's reflective of broader currents and trends in sort of U.S. cultural history that um, Jim Tucker and uh, Arnold Small and Stuart Keith and others really kind of tapped into something that was happening in the bigger, broader culture. And they, whether it was, you know, to some extent sort of subconscious or just sort of going by instinct or feel, I can't really say. And I I think they would say they can't really say either, but um, they plugged into it and it really took off. I think that um, despite the incredible sort of a humble and modest beginnings of the ABA, and they're almost comical to us, you know, looking back on them, you know, with the uh, hindsight of 50 years, mm-hmm. there's there's this sense that um, something big was brewing and that uh, to some extent what the ABA has become, I, I, don't, I don't mean the actual character or quality, but sort of the, the magnitude and significance of it uh, was, you know, sort of anticipated by, you know, as early as the, as the early 1970s. So that's sort of a long-winded non-answer to your question. But I think that I think it really had a lot to do with the uh, timing and sort of tapping into broader uh, social yeah. culture, socio and cultural cultural currents. Yeah, at that time. you know that, that the idea of the hobby naturalist is not a uniquely American slash Canadian one. I no, mean, not, is, not at all. Yeah, no, it has no. a long history in in the old world. And um, sure, yeah, but they've always had that. And the Royal Society, um, Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, sucks up a lot of oxygen. So. Well, and it certainly yeah, I, it certainly does a lot of things that people who like birds want done. And, right. you know, there are some amazing organizations. I mean, I think of, you know, like Travis Audubon that, um, you know, is the Austin area, mm-hmm. you know, major birding organization. And it it just, you know, they do land conservation. They do, uh, you know, working with uh, school groups. They do birding trips. They just, you know, do a lot of stuff. Um, and you, you see that resource partitioning, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know, all yeah. over the continent in different ways. I think on some of the, um, the thing about the, the ABA, I, <laughs> I, I couldn't help th- but thinking back, remember for a while there, there was a, a bumper sticker that you would see around that was like legalized skateboarding. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there was kind of an element of that, like, and some of it may have had to do with, you know, things that National Audubon was doing or perceived to be doing in that kind of, you know, late 60s, yeah. early 70s flowering of the environmental movement. And I, I guess I feel like as much as there is all, as much as there are all these traditions of, you know, the the amateur naturalist, everything else, I think a lot of groups have not always been fundamentally comfortable with being birders. Um, Mm. you know, there's always been this kind of tension about, you know, what impacts are we having? And and of course the ABA has always, you know, dove head first into that. I think sometimes pretty, pretty fearlessly and pretty helpfully. Um, but I, I do think we fundamentally start from a premise that birding is a good thing and Mm -hmm. birders are good people. And even though in some ways, like Ted is, um, saying, you know, the founding of it, you know, the knock on the ABA that it's just about listing games. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's some truth to that stereotype. I think it's 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 <laughs> well, listing games are fun. <laughs> and and they're a time so many honored different ways way. Time honored way to get people into things. Yeah. Per- perhaps especially young people. And again, going back to this idea of a career arc, so common for anglers and hunters and yeah. birders to start out and wanna catch the limit, bag the trophy, 
break the record. And as you go on, you know, what is interesting to you and what really moves you just naturally evolves for most of us. We can all cite a few <laughs> celebrated <laughs> examples of people for who it appears to not evolve or maybe even devolve. But, but really, in the main, <laughs> um, most of us kind of follow this pattern. So yeah. I, I think the ABA, there's always been an unmistakable energy and passion and kind of, you know, amateur verve to it that um, I think has, has we've been fortunate. I think we've, you know, sort of seen the birding community itself change over the last couple of decades in some really uh, fundamental and positive ways. You know, a lot of that is thanks to the social media and you know, helping people find birders like them. Um, I'm thinking of things like, you know, Gay Birders of America and the Feminist Bird Club and the way people like, you know, Drew Lanham and, and Jason Ward have expanded the idea of the kind of people who are birders. And all this stuff seems, you know, so positive to me. Um, and I'm glad you're finally bringing up the middle-aged white male elephant in the room. <laughs> well, I mean, we we are. <laughs> no, I mean, but yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right. I think, um, you know, I've seen so much happen in the last decade or two with young birders. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and and all three of us had the experience of being, you know, teenagers or younger that came into mm -hmm. these adult bird clubs and kind of went through that process of being embraced, but, you know, mm -hmm. also being kind of awkward. And, and, you know, for so many years, it was like, well, how can we get young people interested? How can we get young people interested? Well, you know, there's still long, long way to go, but it's really improved. And, you know, yeah, part totally. of it has yeah. been young birder programs, uh, young birder camps, a part of it's been social media, but, you know, we actually had what uh, a year ago. We had the first majority female young birder camp um, ever. Hmm. With no, you know, it wasn't like we said, okay, this this section of Camp Colorado is gonna, you know, be especially tailored, you know, for young women or anything like that. It just kind of happened organically, and so the growth and then the participation of other than boys. Um, mm -hmm. has been really heartening. Um, and I think we're even seeing significant progress into, you know, getting people of color um, interested. Mm -hmm. And I think so much of that does have to do with representation. Um, yeah. But it's not as simple as just having non-white people on the ABA board or even having pictures of folks who aren't white on <laughs> right. you know, the ABA magazines. It, it, you really do need you know, the room maps, the, uh, the Jason Wards, the Drew Lanham's, the, you know, I'm thinking of like, uh, Roy and Marissa and Javi and, um, a lot of great Mexican Americans and other Hispanics, um, in South Texas. It's so powerful to have the people who, um, can be that connection point and make the invite. Um, they can kind of, you know, walk credibly in, you know, the traditional bird club spaces, but also credibly invite people to join and say, hey, this is, you know, mostly a, a safe, well-meaning group and and they're willing to listen. And I, I, I think we are, and I certainly hope we are. Yeah, well, I, I do think birding in itself as a hobby does tend to attract people who are open-minded and curious. And I don't know whether it is 
an interest in birds itself that facilitates those sort of characteristics or or whether people who are sort of naturally that way are sort of drawn towards birding in the first place i sort of a chicken and the egg thing i guess but um you know, I, as as someone that grew up as like the only young birder in the state, um, it's been so great to see so many different kind of people kind of jump wholeheartedly into this community. Um, I don't want to say like the ABA had a role in that, but it's nice to be the recipient of that, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I also think I've been reminded a couple times recently, um, you know, when I hear people talking, you know, and I really it's great conversations about, you know, how we open up um, areas that, you know, are way over-dominated by men, way over-dominated mm-hmm. by white people, um, how we, you know, make sure the barriers are down and everything else. And I guess I guess one of the things just, I, I, and I can't, you know, I don't even feel it's my place to, to take issue with that. Um, I feel it's my place to listen and kind of do what I can to help. But um, it it's kind of cool to me how some of the folks getting into stuff now, getting into birding now and trying to promote an interest in it, um, apparently don't seem to realize like what a kind of socially daring step it was to kind of come out as a birder um, (laughs) a few decades ago. Like, you know, it wasn't necessarily like something one aspired to like membership in the country club or something like that. It was sort of something that you only did if you cared so much about it, you couldn't, you couldn't do anything else. (laughs) And I, I just think it's, um, great that like, um, there is even this idea that, um, birding is, something that people want admission to. Um, And and in a way, that's, I think, kind of a sign of progress. But it does sort of lead into another thing that I sort of wanted to talk about. You know, the the elitism thing, right? I mean, this is a a charge that the ABA has sort of been dealing with, fighting even from time to time for a very long time. And I do think some of that seems to be you know, culturally, the perception of elitism has maybe changed from like a neutral term to even a pejorative these days. But um, how how do you think that the ABA has has fought that or or fostered this sort of inclusive way of birding, or or even failed to do that? Do you have any sort of insights into that, Ted? You've been at this for a long time. Yeah. So this may sound like a semi-defensive response on behalf (laughs) of the ABA. But, you know, old ideas die hard. And I I just see very little sort of um, actively practiced elitism by almost anybody in the birding community today. I'm not saying there aren't some vestiges of it, but Mm -hmm. um, I often hear that the ABA in general or the American birding community... um, sorry, the, the ABA in particular, or the American birding community in general, is is elitist. And, you know, that's a charge that um, sort of stings for me, and I often try to sort of pursue it, and just as Jeff was saying, sort of from a, a listening perspective. Mm-hmm. And I typically find that um, if it's somebody who's been involved in birding for a long time, it's based on a memory or an experience or an anecdote from, I don't know, you know, 1982, or, um, or something that they read or heard about in 1994. And... I just pick up on increasingly little of it um, as time goes on. Now, again, as I said, old ideas and old notions uh, die hard, but um, I'm pleased greatly by the the progress that we at the ABA, but also as 
broader members of the broader American birding community have made um, to a more inclusive, a more sort of a populist conception of birding. So I can't deny that that perception <laughs> is out there. And yeah. I think you know, it, it, it behooves us to, um, to um, confront it and to, um, as appropriate, to correct it, uh, but, but also to be realistic about sort of the strides we have made. So I, the, the perception is out there. I, I cannot deny that. Uh, I also would say that if you look at what I'm talking specifically about the ABA, what we do in terms of our uh, outreach through both uh, traditional and uh, sort of uh, modern uh, communications, what we do through our programs, both uh, for adults and, and, and for young people, uh, and just sort of in terms of our engagement as ordinary birders in the birding world, um, I see a very broad and inclusive outlook in what we're doing today. I will uh, push back on that a little bit, Ted, and that um, perhaps the reason that we don't always experience that sort of elitism is because the between the three of us, we are somewhat well-known among our local and even national birding communities. So people aren't going to be necessarily jerks to us as much as they might be to someone they perceive as a, as a new birder. Do you, do you ever see that? I mean, like I, yeah. I, anytime you get any group of people together and birders are absolutely no exception, even though I think that by and large, they are very supportive and engaging and open-minded. Um, you're going to have a few jerks. I mean, it's just sort of the way of things. Right. Um, but I mean, I, I sometimes I, I asked myself the, you know, when I when I have heard those charges of elitism, I like you, Ted, kind of get my hackles up a little bit. But then I sit back and think like people aren't a jerk to me because maybe they know I have that whatever reputation in the birding community. They're less like they're going to give me the benefit of the doubt that they might not give someone that they don't know. And so I don't I, I don't see it. I don't. I don't experience it like that. Sure. And I almost wonder if we're talking about sort of the existence of two birding communities uh, out there yeah. right now. Yeah. So um, I actually have to say that I, and, and this is a refreshing perspective. I, I don't, this is no woe is me. <laughs> yeah. um, I make a, a point to put myself in uh, birding experiences in which actually nobody knows who I am. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm just, just some guy. Um, so we're talking about... Uh, activities that are not, for example, ABA activities per se. And I find that, again, this is the year 2019, I'm not going back to 1989 or anything like that, that um, there's just this um, egalitarianism, this sort of shared perspective, sort of a shared wonder and marveling um, about birds. I have to tell just a very, very quick a, per, a very, very personal story. Uh, my, my son was uh, interviewed um, on a radio program recently, and I, I was actually there while the interview was happening. And all of it made perfectly good sense to me. And then the question came up, um, uh, you know, is the fact that you're a, a bird lover sort of different or weird among all your friends? And my son was really caught off guard. He said, well, all the kids love birds at my school. And that was hmm. sort of a, yes, we've arrived moment. Um, <laughs> they're not necessarily ABA members. They don't necessarily identify as uh, birders or even recognize the term birders. But um, there seemed to be just a general comfort in sharing and uh, learning together about the wonders and marvels of birds out there. So maybe that's sort of a, a little advanced guard, but I, I'm hopeful that that type of sort of shared wonder at a very kind of equal playing field level is something that's going to be in the future of birding, um, not too far off in the future at all. And that we're starting to see already. Boy, I hope so. Although I will say that I have been on, uh, the neighborhood app next door and I've gotten like so much, uh, garbage thrown at me for like 
trying to correctly identify a picture of a, a fox. <laughs> Everyone thinks it's a coyote. Everyone By the way, Nate, my, my wife won't let me go on you next should. door, perhaps, it's, it's, for that very it's, reason. It's, yeah, it's, it's Mos Eisley Cantina. It's a hub of <laughs> scum and villainy. <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, I, a couple, couple quick reactions. Um, I, I do think there is this kind of thing of people look at birding and they see that some people are, you know, only able to do it, you know, around home with mm -hmm. less than optimal binoculars and, you know, a fitting birding into very challenging work schedules, et cetera. And there are people sharing pictures on social media, you know, occasionally, including me, that are, um, you know, traveling the world and, mm -hmm. you know, getting to look through the best binoculars and great camera gear. And I think there can be, you know, kind of a, well, that's elitist kind of thing. And obviously I or the ABA can't send everyone to Borneo to go birding, but I do hope that we can raise the profile and the value of, you know, patch birding, local birding, urban birding, um, all these different things, you know, maybe we can keep pumping um, the importance and the worth of that. Um, and maybe sometimes we do lean a little too heavily on the big year, big day, big boy, big <laughs> bird yeah. kind of model. Well, you know, in the same way that like modern sports media pays more attention to the NBA finals uh, as opposed to the the pickup game at the Y maybe, but yeah, um, exactly. you still get enjoy it. You can still, you know, enjoy both. And, and hopefully the, the NBA finals can inspire the guys and girls and everybody right. who's yeah. having the pickup game down at the Y, you know, that, yeah. that is something that's always been mystifying and troublesome to me because, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, Ted and Nate and Jeff, we do have, you know, some profile within the community. But like if anybody listening wants to go birding with us, it's like easy to make that happen. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Whereas it's not so easy to play basketball with, uh, you know, really good <laughs> right. basketball players or, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. So I think sometimes this elitism thing is extra baffling for that reason. Um, the, the other thing I want to say is, and this I really, you know, I am troubled by, and it's something that I think as a community we have to own up to and really be vigilant about. Um, there are examples of people who are just kind of condescending, know-it-all jerks who, <laughs> you know, sometimes really do send out this vibe of you have no idea what you are talking about. You know, mm -hmm. what are you even doing here? And um, I think sometimes even the people doing that might be, you know, well-meaning and good-natured, but like right. the way they're perceived yeah. by people who are coming into a new community, a new place, a new endeavor, you know, that are just on high alert for any signs of being rejected. Mm -hmm. I think that's something we've got to get yeah. much better at. And I think as birders, unfortunately, you know, there's way too much pulling of hair and gnashing of teeth that you know, oh, this bird got flushed, you know, the, the edges of this trail got trampled and not enough concern about, you know, these people who might have become, you know, active and valuable members of our community got turned off because this person was kind of a jerk. Yeah. Um, those should be at least equal 
sins. And, um, you know, in some ways, I almost feel like turning people off is worse. Do you think that the ABA can play a role in encouraging that? I know we have, we, I know we, we, you know, the ABA code of birding ethics is one of the most important documents that the organization has, has put out. It's this, you know, standard for how we should behave as birders. Uh, and I know that the, the new version does sort of touch on interpersonal relationships a little bit more than perhaps the versions have in the past. Do you think that that is a, a role that the ABA can take going into the future? I sure hope so. And, you know, I really do think it's a matter of uh, walk it like you talk it. And mm-hmm. I think I think anybody who goes out with Ted Floyd and, you know, he's he's right. I mean, he's always, you know, around Boulder County and, you know, like doing these, you know, really not everything Ted does is billed as, you know, hardcore bird ID by <laughs> by a long mm-hmm. shot. And, um, you know. He really is modeling um, a, a lively curiosity in people and the experience of, you know, um, being out with birds. So I, to me, that's the the most um, valuable role we can play is, uh, you know, by taking something like that code, trying to internalize it and, you know, maybe even tip your hat towards it at the beginning of your birding day and be like, you know, I'm going to try in addition to having a great time and, you know, seeing whatever target species I have, I'm going to try to leave the community a little better off and the birds a little better off. Um, I really do think that stuff can become very powerful. And particularly when, um, you know, we all celebrate people who can find and identify birds. I mean, you can be, mm-hmm. you can be pretty antisocial and still have some street cred <laughs> if you turn up enough vaguely. <laughs> we all know, we all know people like that. And they're correctly identified. But like, and you know, we started the Betty Peterson Award for um, mm-hmm. you know, conservation and community here, kind of specifically to say, you know, being able to find, identify, and foster new birders and connections among birders in the community is every bit as difficult and it's worthy work. Um, and we really need to celebrate it. And I, I think, I think we can play a role in, um, increasing, you know, how good we are at that stuff and how much of it we do. So guys, here's a, um, a huge challenge for us um, as members, and I'm speaking on behalf of all the members of the ABA here, not just on behalf of uh, Jeff and, and uh, Nate and, and myself. It's how to um, take those more sort of, um, I know, broad brush sort of community level endeavors that all three of us participate in and really kind of uh, own them as ABA members. So, uh, Jeff, you very uh, kindly, uh, you know, remarked on some of the activities that I do. Not By the way, not only in Boulder County. I sometimes get all the way down to uh, to Jefferson County. Come on, guys. No, <laughs> yeah, or even, even Denver on rare occasion. Ooh. But 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 um, but to also Probably really... Um, there, yeah, I know. But to really make those... Um, sort of part and parcel what the ABA is all about. So when I think of some of the activities that are just most personally meaningful and worthwhile to me, and and by the way, I absolutely love working for the American Birding Association, don't get me wrong here, but they would be activities like leading uh, insect workshops for second graders at the the local elementary school or doing, um, we don't even call them beginning bird walks. We don't like to use the word beginner anymore, but community bird walks or community nature study. Um, I've done several of those in the past month now. And by the way, also things that aren't even necessarily uh, nature um, study per se, so volunteering in the schools. And 
Yeah, I, I wish there were some way that interactions with second graders, that uh, interactions with uh, just sort of nature-curious people in the community, lectures at the public library. Uh, I did a lecture at a, it wasn't even a lecture, a discussion at a coffee shop a week ago. It's funny to me, and this is a challenge, and um, I think Jeff has sort of addressed this already, but we don't tend to do those things in at the ABA, at least not as much as I think we could. Imagine, for example, if we had a uh, a page or a column or even an issue of Bird, uh, Birding Magazine devoted to the absolute basics. You know, I, I think even today, as much progress as we've made, I think there would be some pushback and some some criticism for that. So there's something funny out there about how all three of us, and I think probably many of the people listening as well, have this very um, uh, strong instinct and, and really um, strong inclination and, and, and ability for reaching out way beyond the whatever word you want to use, the, the, the elite, the advanced, the experienced, uh, and preaching the gospel of you know, birding, bird study, bird fandom, uh, but also nature study much more broadly. So I'd love to see that become part of our um, programmatic offering as well. And you know, I don't know if the pages of Birding Magazine uh, uh, are where we should start or if it should be in uh, events and programs or maybe in some maybe brand new- Maybe we can do new- a podcast, Ted. There you go. <laughs> wow. Imagine if we had a podcast. I know. It would be a great opportunity for <laughs> yes. this. Hey, I just want to, you know, remind folks that Celebrations, which, you know, used to mm-hmm. be the column and birding for milestones, and it was always, you know, so-and-so got their 700th bird zero, or their zero numbers. thousandth bird or whatever. We've really expanded that to be, like, you know, um, much wider ranging and... There's no reason you couldn't send in a celebration that's like, I went to local middle school and I, you know, I'm not fluent in Spanish, but I, you know, helped a a bunch of kids who were more comfortable um, with Spanish as their first language to see some birds. And, you know, it made me feel great because of X, Y, and Z. I mean, that's totally legit. And, you know, if if you even get to something of that level of complexity, we're always happy to, you know, feature even very brief kind of notes of telling us um, what you did and what you were successful and and what the challenges are. I mean, again, it's kind of like the old bird finding inserts, you know, how do I Mm -hmm. find a buff colored night jar? Well, now, you know, how do I get kids, older folks, you know, deaf or mobility impaired people, you know, how do I get them into birding and what works and what doesn't? Um, That is very much stuff that we want to share intel on how to do that. Yeah, Jeff, let me actually give some, um, thank you for bringing up that that column celebrations, which is uh, uh, headed up by Ioana Saraton. But let let me give some specific examples of of what contributions might look like. So um, surprisingly enough, it was only uh, last year that both Ioana and I submitted our first celebrations uh, to that column. I know what you think, surely at you some point. You took mine earlier this year too. Uh, yeah, I'm going to get to that in just a moment there. Yeah. But yeah, that, that um, you might've thought that I would have had a milestone in the 1990s or something. But um, so Ioana's first uh, celebration was a uh, reflection on the, the joy that she and a friend had on uh, releasing a, um, a Virginia rail that had been um, 
brought back to health um, under their uh, their care as, as rehabbers. And it was a really cool story. Uh, my first milestone, which appears, sorry, first milestone, first celebration, which appeared in the column that we now call Celebrations, uh, was just on the uh, the joys and delights of uh, watching a Townsend solitaire at the uh, the backyard juniper um, all all winter long. Uh, and I have had a second celebration since then. It's an odd one, but I uh, celebrated uh, watching two other people get uh, numerical milestones in the same day. And they were uh, Jason Ward and, and actually Nate Swick. And yeah. that was really, really fun for me uh, because of where we were. I wasn't poised to achieve some sort of milestone, but uh, it was really a thrill uh, to, to be there with uh, two other people, uh, in this case, getting a numerical milestone. And just on a totally shameless uh, sort of pitch for, uh, for Birding Magazine right here, I would urge <laughs> all of our listeners to please consider uh, submitting celebrations to Birding Magazine. Uh, they go to Ioana Saraton, not to me, although if you send it to me, I'll get it to you, Anna. And uh, she would love to hear from every one of you. And if you want to um, celebrate an old-fashioned uh, numerical listing milestone, that's absolutely fine. But if you have a story about a Virginia rail or a Townsend solitaire or simply celebrating uh, with somebody else for a, uh, an achievement that they had, uh, we would love to get those on the pages of Birding Magazine. Do, do you see that sort of thing as an ideal role for the organizations such as the ABA? This, this sort of celebration of birding experiences, of birding itself? I know that, in, you know, in the past, the ABA has sort of been I don't know, described as a lot of different ways. One that kind of sticks out to me was uh, the the commissioner of birding. Um, do, do you think that that's sort of where the ABA should be going forward or what we should aspire to be? Yeah, uh, just another um sort of personal story, and it's back to this idea of milestones and, and celebrations. So, Ioana and I had a conversation about a year and a half ago about what, honestly, we considered to be sort of the problematic title of that column, which we called Milestones. And so, we had articulated this idea for an expanded conception of the column, and then we needed to come up with a name for it. And so I said, Ioana, what are we going to call this thing? And Ioana said, Ted, what are we going to call this thing? And there was this sort of strange silence. And then we achieved this perfect Vulcan mind meld. And at the exact <laughs> same time, the exact same insight came to us. And we both said, celebrations. And it came to us uh, instantly. And, you know, Ioana was in San Francisco and I was near Denver when this happened. But um, we were in a complete convergence of, uh, of thoughts about that. And uh, yeah, so I think that... Um, the idea of birding as, uh, you know, Je Jeff used the idea of um, something verbal as opposed to a noun uh, when he was talking about birding versus, you know, just birds themselves. But yeah, I, I would love for us to own words like um, celebration, sharing, uh, learning, uh, discovering together. Uh, the name of Jess column in, in birding is called Birding Together. Um, those are great uh, okay, I'm going I'm to go grammatical on you here. Uh, <laughs> verbs and gerunds, but uh, yeah, I would love for, for I, I would love for the uh, the ABA to really um, move away from the business of nouns, which are this you know these sort of objective things that are out there in nature, to uh, verbs and gerunds, which are about the things that we as human beings do. So uh, if it involves sharing, if it involves celebrating, if it involves uh, discovering things uh, with other people, that's what we're really all about. Yeah, any way that we can help people find meaning and connection, I think, because um, I think at the end of the day, that's what birding has been about for me. And yeah, it's involves some detours through flycatcher vocalizations and, <laughs> you know, shorebird molts. Um, sometimes, you know, that's been part of my path, um, but it 
it doesn't necessarily need to be part of everybody's. And how can we take this, you know, arcane, esoteric and fascinating, you know, body of knowledge that we've all inherited and hopefully even contributed a little bit to and share it more widely, but still meaningfully with people, um, make it more accessible, but not dilute it to the point that it just becomes kind of dull. Um, that's what I would like the ABA to be and to do. Thanks to both of you for uh, making some time. Congratulations, I guess, to all of us for an amazing 50 years, even though, well, collectively, I think that maybe we've been involved with the ABA for almost the 50 years. But um, uh, th thanks again. Um, happy holidays to both of you. And um, yeah, here's to, here's to the next 50. Thanks for having Thank us, Nate. Nate. Good birding. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. You know what I'm going to say. We are a membership organization. We rely on our members to keep doing what we do. If you enjoy this podcast, the best way to help support it is to join the ABA or gift a membership. That's good, too, and seasonally appropriate. Get more information about all that at aba.org slash join. As promised, I have a fairly long list of people I want to shout out here. So a special thanks to Lonnie Garris of Zeeland, Michigan, Brian Murphy of Marquette, Michigan, Sarah Hartman of Los Angeles, California, Diane LeBlanc of Portuguese Cove, Nova Scotia, Gavin Alvine of Atlanta, Georgia, Nathaniel Sharp of West Fairley, Vermont, Nancy Pinchar of Evanston, Illinois, and Linda and Charles and Lauren Lee of Louisville, Colorado, all of whom joined the ABA or recently renewed their membership and noted the podcast as a reason. Thanks, y'all. That feels good. Welcome or welcome back to the ABA. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon. He was he was trying to explain to me how he became such a skilled birder. For instance, when it comes to goals, you must unlearn what you have learned. Technical production is by John Lauer. He always thinks the best of people when he hears about a rare bird, even though I tend to be pretty cynical, and, and John hates that. In fact, he told me, I find your lack of faith disturbing. Additional help comes from David Hartley and Greg Neese. You know, I went birding with them, and I pulled out my nasty old scope, and they were not having it. They were actually pretty mean about it. What a piece of junk. You can find us on aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders, and on Twitter at ABA Rare. I hope your CBC season goes well and that you find lots of great birds, even though the probability of successfully finding a rare bird on any given count is, what is it now? Approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. Questions and comments can come to me at podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Till next year.